credit scores, down payments, interest rates. Car buying can be a numbers game, but you don't have to be a math expert to get the keys to your dream car. Just use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. Crunch your numbers and get personalized results so you know exactly how much you'll pay each month for your car. It's like having a magic wand for your wallet. Presto! The car you've been wanting is now within reach. So hit the road and leave your calculator at home. Auto Trader. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry. So this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Can I start off with a request of advice? Mm-hmm. A request of advice. Some advice, which is in the form of a request. Hmm. This sounds uh, passive-aggressive. No, it's not. It's uh, to our listeners. We often get people that say, Hey, um, I'm years behind. I'm writing you about the episode from 2008 mm-hmm. or 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we love it when people go back and listen to all the podcasts in order. Right. But... What really helps us out is if you want to start at the beginning and also listen to the most recent episode. Does that work? Yeah, I call it sandwiching. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's the term for it, huh? Yeah, you start at, if you want to start at the beginning, that's great, but it also really helps us out if you listen to the most recent one. Right. And um, so I just want to throw it out there. We, you know, we don't want to tell you how to listen. I see what you're doing. This I is see. just a request. Or, or you could just go buy yourself a 2012 Camry. <laughs> That's very true. Right. But it does help us. And you know, if you really don't want to do that, of course, listen how you want. But um, sure, it's good for us that the most recent episodes get listened to. And um, I think it's kind of cool then because you 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 can flash forward through time mm-hmm. and see how bad we were then. And how bad we are now. Right. And just compare how, how little, little difference. Have changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well put, man. Yeah, just a PSA. Appreciate that. That's a good PSA. Thank you. How's your uh, Facebook page? Wait a minute. It just occurred to me, though, if people aren't listening to this recent one anyway, then they're not going to know to do that. <laughs> Ugh. Maybe the people they live with who sandwich will tell them, hey, yeah. man, yeah, you should be doing it a different way. I didn't think this through. What, what did you ask me? I asked how your Facebook page is going. Oh, Charles W. Chuck Bryant? Yes. It's going well. Good. I'm on there a little bit and uh, putting in insider stuff. Right. Like occasionally I even say what we were are recording that day, which is... Oh, yeah? We've usually not... We've guarded that with like Fort Knox. Right. But occasionally I yeah, will throw that out there. Yeah, that's good. And then, then other stuff, you know, insider heads up on performances and ticket sales. Nice. And, you know... Dog and cat pictures. Right. That's what I'm doing. I've, I've got my own Twitter account, too. Josh Um Clark. Yeah, and where can they find you on Facebook? Same same place? Yeah, I don't even bother. Okay. Just go to Twitter. <laughs> All right. You're the Facebook guy. Sure. What's yours? Charles W. Chuck Bryant? Yeah. Yeah. It's like behind the scenes or just other stuff, you know, things that strike your fancy. Yeah, that's a lot of admin stuff for us today. 
Yeah, do you want to do administrative details right now while we're at it? Nope. You want to talk about hibernation? Yes. So, Charles, Chuck, yes. if you will, um, right now, you're sitting there, you're thinking, Yep. you're moving your papers around, Sure. looking up and down, breathing, Yep. heart's beating. A little bit. Uh, you're, you got an eye on Jerry. Always. Um, eating her Fritos. Yes. Eating her Fritos. Jerry's burning a lot of energy too, but she's also taking it in. Sure. And all of this energy ex- expenditure requires a ton of energy input. And in fact, we humans in particular are not really great at, um, at, uh, energy conversion, right? We lose like 60% of the energy. We break down glucose into CO2 and I think ATP. And ATP is like this really powerful molecule that powers our cells. Yeah. When we do that, we lose like 60% of that potential energy to heat. What a waste. You'd think so. But it turns out we have evolved to channel that waste heat into keeping our bodies warm, which makes us warm-blooded, right? Yes. The thing is, is we have something really important, maybe one of the most overlooked important technologies humans ever came up with clothing, which allows us to live outside of our normal habitat, which yeah. is the um, tropics and subtropical areas. Yeah, that's why we spread about the earth. Exactly. Thanks to clothing, yep. in large part. And shoes to a lesser, but that's part of clothing, pretty I important extent, sure. But it depends on who you ask, you know. <laughs> Isn't it an accessory? <laughs> but if we, if we were warm-blooded animals that didn't have clothing and had kind of spread out into colder climes, one strategy that we might have... When it got really cold and food became scarce, therefore the energy input was a lot harder to come by, uh, might be hibernation. That's right. Which is something some animals do. That's right. Uh, it's funny. I think a lot of people think of bears immediately mm-hmm. when they think of hibernation. Um, but not only do a lot of animals hibernate, um, bears... If you want to get technical. Let's get technical. <laughs> technical. Oh, boy. That'll be in the brain forever now. <laughs> um, technically, bears do not hibernate. Um, we are going to call it hibernation. And a lot of people do say, you know, any animal that undergoes like a, 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 a period, sustained period of like a body temperature drop right. and metabolism change mm-hmm. um is hibernation, and and that's what I think. Sure. But technically, the real, um, you know, if you get a a pedantic biologist (laughs) up in your grill, they might um, push the glasses back on their nose and say that it's when the temperature is significantly decreased, long-term state. This is like a... This is a sexy biologist you're doing here. Metabolism slows drastically, and the animal enters a coma-like condition that takes some time to recover from. Uh, and bears are a little different because they aren't really in that coma-like state. You can wake them up pretty easily, although yeah. you should not. Their temperature, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's important to add. <laughs> you wake a little bear? Right. Hey, yeah. you hibernating, <laughs> you stupid bear. Um, and the uh, body temperature of the bears don't drop very much compared to some other animals. Sure. But, yeah, for our intents and purposes, since we're going to dig into the whole thing, when we say hibernation, we mean any time an animal... Um, goes into this kind of state beyond sleep right. with the goal of surviving a, a, a rough period of the year. Yeah, whether it's a shortage of food or whether 
Um, and it could be cold. Usually you associate yeah. hibernation with, you know, winter time. But actually in the tropics, there's something called estivation. Yeah. Which is hibernation during the hottest or driest, uh, times of the year. Pretty cool. Never knew that. Um, there are also reptiles who hibernate. It's called brumation. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's also torpor, which is a great word. This is, it's another confusing term though, right? Yeah, for Tor- sure. Torpor can mean, um, it can be an umbrella term for any hibernation strategy. Yes. Right? Or it can re- refer to a specific type of hibernation that's usually, um, happens on a daily basis. Yeah, like a few hours maybe. Right. And so, like, you're hearing all this, Chuck. I can, I can put myself in the mind of people listening. They're like, you guys are talking about sleep, you dummies. <laughs> it's called sleep. <laughs> yeah. This is not sleep, actually. No, uh, and that's very important to point out because I think if if you don't know about hibernation, like I probably used to think, yeah, bears go sleepy time for half the year. Right. It's like none of that is correct, <laughs> right, at all. So um, it's it's very different from sleep. Sleep is uh, when you hibernate, you're really going un- undergoing some pretty drastic physiolog- uh, physiological changes. When you sleep, you undergo a little bit of a change, like. Even when we sleep, our heart rate slows a bit. Body temperature drops a little bit. Yeah, our breathing slows a little bit, but nothing, it's not anything drastic at all. It's more of a mental change. Right, yeah, that's the big difference between sleep and hibernation. With sleep, your brain is taking time to rest, even though there are plenty of phases of sleep where your brain's active. Yeah. It's also very inactive for large parts of it. With hibernation, uh, apparently when an animal is in even deep hibernation, its brain is still um, reflecting the same type of waves, I believe alpha waves, yeah. that it has when it's wakeful. Totally they're, never knew that. They're just somewhat suppressed. Yeah. And actually when, when animals come out of hibernation, they apparently have sleep deprivation and have to sleep for several days afterwards. Yeah, that's the fact of the show for me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like I'm you, sorry for taking that one. No, no, no. You wake up from a six-month hibernation. Like, chipmunk. I'm sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I got to get some rest right. from laying around like this for six months. Right. But uh, it's all because of the, those brain waves, I think. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, if you're in a zoo, you probably don't hibernate. I'm not talking about a, a guest and visitor at a zoo. <laughs> right. If you're an animal living in a zoo, you probably don't hibernate because you're they're regulating your uh, environment. Uh, your food is not going to be scarce. But in order uh, sometimes to give these animals a more natural life cycle, they will trigger hibernation on purpose. Yeah, they just like blast them with an ice ray or something. <laughs> an ice ray? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and as far as when to hibernate, like when it all depends on the animal, uh, on when they do it. And it depends on the animal and how it's triggered. Like when they know to do it. Yeah, yeah. So there's actually, there's a biologist whose name was, uh, Jurgen Ashoff. Ooh, and, name. uh, Dr. Ashoff, I'm assuming doctor. Sounds like a bad, a Bond villain almost. Right. Um, or an actor playing a Bond villain yeah, too. True. Um, Dr. Ashoff came up with a term for all the different kinds of triggers that can trigger hibernation. And Sleepy triggs? Uh, Zeitgeber. Oh. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense to you? Because sure. you're no German? Yeah. So Zeit means... Um, uh, <laughs> like Zeitgeist? Right. So this, this wonderful term um, is probably does mean in German, sleepy time triggers. It's a good German band name, too. <laughs> yeah. 
But the, yeah, because there's not a third word. Yeah. The third word, the three word band names bother me. They're really tough to pull off. And when they are pulled off well, great. They're usually done very well. But it's also really easy to fumble a three word band name. I'm trying to think of three word band names now. The, like Bachman Turner Overdrive? Yeah. Great one. <laughs> Brian Jonestown Massacre. Great one. Fleetwood Big Mac? <laughs> I'll bet there's a cover band out there named that. I actually just saw a Fleetwood Mac cover band. Oh yeah, what were they called? I don't go to those tribute cover bands ever, but um, you just came to in the middle of one. No, I noticed there was a Smiths cover band playing, and they were opening up for Rumors. The they're from Atlanta, actually, the Fleetwood mm-hmm. Mac one, mm-hmm. and uh, the Smiths one was tough. I had a hard time watching the guy. No, that stinks. I mean, the band was great, and he sounded good, but what was the problem? He was Morrisseying around the stage, and you can't Morrissey around the stage unless you're Morrissey. Sure. So I just had to kind of look at the guitar player. Right. And was listen. he Johnny Marring on the stage? <laughs> no, he was fine. Yeah. Uh, but Fleetwood Mac, rumors, they are great. Are they? Dude, I mean, unbelievably great. Really? And if you like Fleetwood Mac and you don't want to pay $200 to go see them, right. pay 15 to go see rumors. That good, huh? Yeah, I mean, he sounds just like him. Well, anyway. Shout out to Rumors. I guess so. <laughs> I might be on a new cover band kick, though. So I, st- I found myself kind of perusing, like, what's coming in Atlanta, thinking, like, oh, that was kind of fun. Right. I'm Who's like, coming? Zoso? Are they coming? No, but there's a, an, a night of, the, of it with ACDC, Van Halen, and one other, like, classic rock band right. is going to be uh, all playing together. I think I might Featuring the too. real Sammy Hagar. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you never know. And Michael Anthony, too. Yeah. Although my hat's off to Sammy Hagar for stepping up to defend Michael Anthony like a year or so ago. Oh, I thought you were going to say hats off to him for not driving 55. <laughs> well, that, too. <laughs> yeah, he did take up for Michael Anthony. Yeah. All right. So we were, we were talking about Zeitgeiber. And, again, this is all the ways that, like, hibernation can be triggered. And I think you said temperature is, like, the big one, right? That's the main, most common one. Uh, we talked a little bit about food supplies. There, uh, I mean, there are many animals who are triggered by food supplies, birds most notably. Right. Um, although there's only one bird that goes into true hibernation. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The chickadee? No, the common poor will. Um, That's a great name. Actually goes into like real hibernation for like five months. And other birds just have a torpor, like you were saying. Right. A few hours a day. It's all they need to conserve a little bit of energy. Yeah, and I mean, again, that's the point. Like, you're trying to save calories, right? Yeah. It's, that's the whole point. Exactly. Um, so there's also something called photo period. Yeah. Where the days start getting shorter, and it triggers um, a, a hibernation response in animals, too. Yeah, and a really cool thing that this article pointed out was that they've done experiments uh, where... They've had animals in, uh, I was about to say in capture. Locked away I guess in rooms, windowless rooms. Studying animals that have no triggers like this going on, and they have this weird ability they don't understand triggered by their circannual rhythm where they just know this like internal biological clock where they just know it's time. Right. Pretty amazing. It is amazing, and that's in contrast to the circadian rhythm, which we all know and love that makes us sleepy when... The day ends. That's right. Um, let's uh, let's take a break, man. All right. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm gonna go listen to some Fleetwood Big Mac. <laughs>
You know, Josh, starting your own business can be quite a chore, my friend. Mm-hmm. And developing your online presence doesn't have to be the hard part. That's because our friends at Google and Squarespace have teamed up. And they're going to give small business owners what they need to succeed online, which is a custom domain, a business email, and a beautiful website all in one place. Yep. With Google and Squarespace, you can stand out, look professional, and increase your team's productivity. When you create your Squarespace business website or online store, you'll receive a free year of business email and professional tools from Google. It's that simple. That's right. All you have to do is visit squarespace.com slash Google and start your free trial today. Just make sure you use the offer code WORK, W-O-R-K, and you're going to get 10% off your first purchase. Google and Squarespace. Make it professional. Make it beautiful. All right, Chuck, so we were talking about um, ways that animals know, and, and like you said, they just seem to know naturally when to go hibernate. Yeah. Um, and when they start getting these these triggers, mm-hmm. when they're like, oh, it's starting to be time, yeah. um, one of the first things they do is, is prepare uh, a place to stay. Yeah, they fluff the pillow, mm-hmm. shake out the sleeping bag. Yeah. What else? If they're the hair bear bunch, they uh, just basically settle into their awesome den. Do yeah. you remember them? The hair bear? The hair bear bunch. No. from Early 70s. No. They lived in a zoo, but they had like the coolest, they had like a TV and like a, like great recliners Was and it a, a refrigerator. Sure. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, the hair bear bunch. You remember the, the, um, the, uh, bear with like the cravat and like the big afro? <laughs> One of them had like a camouflage hat that covered his eyes, like the guy from Cypress Hill? No, I don't remember that at all. Uh, Chuck, you gotta check out the hair bear bunch. Wow. I think you might like them. That was my generation too. Mm hmm. Yeah, that was right there. Interesting. Maybe my parents didn't let me watch it. <laughs> They're like, that, that bear's <laughs> obviously on the dope. Who knows? Uh, but you are correct. They prepare their little area. Uh, it depends on the animal and what they do. Uh, might be a cave. A little ground squirrel or a lemur might um, dig out their den and put some insulating material around it. We talked about polar bears. Yeah, the polar bear moms kind of combine hibernation and um, birth. Yes. Right? And they, they dig out like a Snowden, which, again, great movie. <laughs> uh, sometimes they don't dig out a big area. Sometimes they'll just find a little uh, tree hollow or a little shallow cave, and they're kind of partially exposed to the weather. Yeah, because I was thinking about that. When you think of bears hibernating, you think of a bear hibernating in a cave. Yeah. They couldn't be too far into the cave because the same triggers that, that – Put them to, to sleep and, and trigger hibernation. Yeah. Um, also, bring them out of it. Sure. So the, it would make sense that they would need to be like partially exposed to the weather. Yeah. You know. So as the days started to get longer, they would wake up, or as the temperature got warmer, they would. Yeah. They would kind of come out of it. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Um, food storage is a big deal. Um, sometimes, if it's non-perishable foods, you can actually keep it in there with you. Uh, and <laughs> we bring this up because. Um, it's a bit of a misconception that the animals, some animals do knock out for months and months at a time, but some will wake up occasionally just to shove some food in their mouth All right. and then go back to sleep. Well, not sleep, go back into hibernation mode. Yeah. So they should have some food in there. Or maybe they've just eaten so much, prepared, fattened up for the winter months that they don't need to eat at all. Yeah. 
I, I saw somewhere that some bears um, go from eating an, an average of 8,000 calories a day to 20,000 calories a day Whoa. to fatten up yeah. in like the weeks leading up to, to hibernation. Should we talk about brown fat now, I guess? Yeah. It sounds gross. It's delicious, though. <laughs> brown fat is different than white fat. Uh, when we typically process fat um, for for energy and heat, it uh, there's there's something called shivering that it facilitates that helps us. Well, yeah, shivering, shivering, right? Yeah, yeah. Just muscle contraction burns energy and releases heat. Yeah, but brown fat's great because we don't need to shiver. It actually uh, the the brown fat is oxidized directly, and it instantly produces the heat. It's, oh, it oh, skips gotcha. that whole middle part. Nice. So you don't need to shiver. So and it doesn't waste energy on muscle contraction. Not at all. Oh, that's so, pretty cool. Although it's called uh, non-shivering thermogenesis. Nice. So that's why you want the brown fat. Yeah, and that's what the bears bulk up with. I guess. I guess all animals do. Nice. Or maybe not all animals, but I, I know it's handy. Well, when you do have to burn that fat, whether it's brown fat or otherwise, um, you. You use up a lot of that stored energy. Yeah. Because fat is a great energy store. Yeah. Right? Um, and if you're a pretty large animal, you, if you let your body temperature get too low, because again, this, most of the time this is in very, very cold climates in the winter, right? Yeah. If you, if we, if you let your body temperature get too low, it's going to take a lot of energy to get it back to its normal warm-blooded state. Yeah. Even even its normal hibernating temperature. So animals have, astoundingly, something called a set point. And it's like an internal thermostat setting. Yeah, it's That amazing. says, when my body temperature gets to this, this temperature, burn some fat and warm me back up. Yep. And... Uh, I guess all warm-blooded animals have this set point, right? Yeah. But for the larger animals, it's higher because, again, it requires so much energy to, to, to restore it yeah. that their body temperature never gets too low and their set point is being activated pretty frequently during hibernation. But if you're a much smaller animal, I think the Arctic ground squirrel is like the best example of, of hibernation, oh, especially yeah. in this respect. The Arctic ground squirrel, a warm-blooded animal, their body temperature will get below freezing. Amazing. During hibernation. And you would think, well, yeah, that's got to be pretty terrible for them. Yes, it is. They lose bone density. Yeah. They lose uh, their teeth. Their brain, actually, they lose, like, parts of it. And um, they f- come very close to dying or uh, being dead. Unbelievable. And then the thaw comes and they ar- they're, they're aroused from their hibernation and all of a sudden they start growing all that stuff back. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Like, I, would, I just want to say move. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I go through that every year. Uh, all this is controlled mostly by the endocrine system. Uh, and we have these glands in our body that alter all these hormones and it can really control with great precision all mm-hmm. these physiological changes. Yeah. That they need to go through. Yeah. I say we, but yeah. I'm an animal too, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Party animal. Uh, <laughs> should we talk about some of the, uh, specifics of that? Right. So, um, and again, like, this is the reason why things like temperature changes and, um, the changes in the amount of sunlight during any given day can trigger hibernation because it, it those are capable of affecting hormones, right? That's right. So you're picking up things like, um, 
like when to grow your coat. It triggers yeah. melatonin production, which triggers a thick coat, like coat thickening. Yeah. Right? Your uh, pituitary gland is going to control that fat buildup, the heart rate and the breathing rate and metabolic functions. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Pituitary gland takes care of a lot. Oh, yeah. You lose that, you probably can't hibernate. Uh, thyroid? Mm-hmm. That's going to control your metabolism somewhat and your uh, levels of activity. Right. And then finally, insulin, as we all know, is going to uh, regulate your glucose. Right. There's also something that was um, isolated. It's an opioid called Dadle, D-A-D-L-E. Um, and they found that it lowers heart rate and um, respiration in animals. And that if you give any animal this, they kind of start to get into hibernation mode. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So it, it's not like a, I don't think it's a hormone. It's a chemical. But it has like a hibernating effect on animals. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, so some of these changes can be pretty drastic. Uh, the heart rate can drop to as little as 2.5%. Um, a chipmunk, for example, 5 beats per minute as opposed to 200. <laughs> That's pretty significant. Listen to the bat. Some bat, uh, some species of bat go from 1,000 beats per minute to 25, and they only breathe once every two hours. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And the box turtle doesn't breathe at all. It completely shuts down breathing. But, I mean, that makes sense. Like when you... Are when you're running off of stored fat, right? Yeah. You you don't have the need to power cells like normal. Yeah. You're hibernating. Your metabolism is slowed because your cells aren't requiring the same energy that they had before, which means that you don't need oxygen or nearly as much oxygen, so you don't have to breathe as much. And since you're not taking in that much oxygen, your your blood doesn't need to pump nearly as much either because it, that's... The point of the heart and your blood is to spread oxygen through your body, at least in large part. Uh, And the turtle, the box turtle takes in air through the skin. So, like you said, it still needs the oxygen, but it just doesn't need to breathe to get it. Right. And it doesn't need much because the box turtle's heart beats about every, once every 10 minutes. Man, that's It'll just go, (laughs) ba-boom. Then 10 minutes later, ba-boom. All right. Pretty amazing. Um, And then... uh, most animals, probably all animals that go into any sort of deep hibernation, they have a, like X amount of fat stored up that they, that should carry them through the winter. That's right. right. Um, the, that's why you should never ever mess with a hibernating animal of any type because you will basically have killed it. Yeah. If you rouse it from its hibernation, it will take a tremendous amount of energy to to come back to wakefulness, right? Yeah, and to bring that temperature up. Right. And so it just spent way more than its budget for um yeah. for the winter. So even if it can get back into hibernation, it'll starve to death because it used up a bunch because you, some jerk, woke it up from its hibernation. Yeah. Why'd you do that? I didn't do it. I'm just saying. <laughs> Uh, waste, if you're wondering, um, I know we kind of gave it away a little bit in the polar bear episode about the poo-poo and pee-pee. Um, some, or most animals that go into deep hibernation don't do either one. Uh, there is no poo-poo because they're not eating. Right. Um, all that, all that food's been digested already and turned into fat. Yeah. So there's nothing going through the intestines at all, mm-hmm. which must be a wonderful feeling. Oh, yeah. You know, when you empty out real good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but the body does produce urea no matter what, and that's the waste product in uh, urine. And uh, hibernating animals actually recycle that. Uh, bears, in particular, break it down into amino acids and use it. And if you think, well, they're not drinking, how are they not dehydrated? That comes from fat, too. Mm-hmm. 
pretty unreal. It really is. Yeah, this whole thing is just like it's unbelievable that animals uh, evolved to do this to survive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, I mean, it makes utter and complete sense. It's like, oh, the food supply dried up for five months? Well, then just go to sleep. Don't eat any food. And again, they're not sleeping. Yeah, we I just know. Keep it's, saying sleep. it's really tough to avoid that. I know. But just go hibernate. Yeah, I think we pointed about that, that out. Earlier, we mentioned estivation, which is hibernation in hot weather. This is something I did not know existed until the last few days. Um, in the desert, if you live in the desert or a tropical climate and it gets too hot or if the food is getting low, uh, you may not be able to survive unless you dig a hole and dig down into the earth where it's cooler and mm-hmm. more, uh, a more stable temperature down there. Right. Or if you are a fish or a primitive fish that has lungs like oh, a lung fish, <laughs> um, yeah. you may live in an area where the your body of water dries up annually. Mm-hmm. This is a good reason to estivate too, right? So lungfish actually um, produce mucus. They, they create a mucus sac around themselves that dries on the inside but stays wet. No, dries on the outside, stays wet on the inside. Yeah, they're like down in the mud. Right. Um but the lake can completely dry out yeah. around them, and they still stay uh, hydrated, and, and um, they they don't dry out. They're lungfish, though, so they breathe through lungs. So they have like a one. A, they also make a tube of mucus, unbelievable, that reaches into the air, so they can breathe while they're sequestered away. And that's and, good eating too. I I don't know lungfish. Yeah, <laughs> no. Those are maybe I doubt it. We're uh, related to those. We're both tetrapods. Did you know that? Uh, we're related to the lungfish. Mm-hmm. I don't think I did know that. Yes. Although it makes sense because they, you know, they're the only fish I think that breeds that way, right? I believe so. But they're also um, f- um, probably one of the first fish to start to come out of water and produce what became amphibians. Mm, I just had to look up a lungfish real quick. You've seen it before. Yeah, it looks sort of like an eel. A little. Uh-huh. But they have like foot-like appendages almost. Yeah. Interesting. Just like us. I have a foot-like appendage. You do, two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we talked a little bit about torpor with birds. Uh, the black-capped chickadee uh, has a daily torpor that it undergoes for a few hours. And like we said, it just that's all it needs, just a few degrees lower in their body just for a few hours a day right. to conserve that little bit of energy that it needs. Yep. Uh, and only that poor will, will um, they have a 93% drop in energy needs, the poor will does. And then back in the spring when things warm up, uh, the poor will needs about seven hours to, to stretch it out. <laughs> Se- wait, seven hours of torpor? No, seven hours of, of getting back to north speed again. Oh, I see. Like after they wake up from hibernation. Oh, gotcha. Because a lot of animals, it takes a long time. Days. Uh, but this this little bird needs about seven hours, and he's like, all right, let's do this. I'm up and at him. Exactly. He's like that guy from Jerry Maguire. Which guy? The, remember the guy who like had like the interstitial interviews? He was like, every morning I wake up and clap oh, my hands yeah, and yeah. say, let's go. The old agent. Yeah. You know, they uh, Cameron Crowe tried to get uh, Billy Wilder for that role. Really? And there's a great story that he told because he just revered Billy Wilder, uh, Billy Wilder the mm-hmm. great filmmaker and writer, yep. wrote directed The Apartment, among others. And, Did he do um, Sunset Boulevard, too? Hmm, I don't know about that. Maybe. 
Okay, go ahead. Uh, so Billy Wilder said no, and Cameron Crowe was like, please, like this would really be awesome, and he said no. So Tom Cruise was like, let me uh, come to the next meeting and ask him, because I'm Tom Cruise. Right. <laughs> so the Cruise rolls in there and asks Billy Wilder, and he says no. And Cameron Crowe, how he put it was, I could tell from the look on Tom's face that no wasn't a word he heard often. Wow. And that stuck with me all these years that Tom Cruise was uh, told no by Billy Wilder and was just like, what? Right. His smile like, <laughs> yeah. didn't change. It was like the entire change took place in the light in his eyes. Yeah. Pretty funny. Billy Wilder did direct Sunset Boulevard, by the way. He did. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. And Hummingbirds, we should mention because those little dudes and dudettes are very active, as you know. Mm-hmm. If you ever seen them flitter around? Uh, they, uh, in order to do that, they have a heart rate up to 1,200 beats per minute. So when you see the hummingbird and it looks like they're going like, <laughs> all over the place, they are. <laughs> it's not just their wings. Right. Like they're in a constant state of high heart rate. Uh, and their uh, consumption is so great that they use daily torpor, even when they're in the tropics. Like every hummingbird you know has a daily torpor uh, where they... Um, and I think it's like more torpor than other birds even. Right. So it has nothing to do with weather in their case. Yeah. They're just juiced up. <laughs> so if uh, if this whole idea of hibernation is like a really kind of ancient mechanism, right? Yeah. And we're all connected far back into the tree of life. It raises the question, Are can humans conceivably hibernate, right? Yeah. And that's a, it's, it's not just us asking that. That's right. So let's take a break and we'll talk about that right after this. Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
right, Josh, can humans hibernate? Uh, probably not. <laughs> well, it's a pretty controversial thing because there are some scientists that say, absolutely, we have this latent ability that we could tap into. Mm-hmm. And then other scientists say, absolutely not. Right. That's sleep. Yeah. Um, we did a, a whole uh, episode on uh, therapeutic hypothermia. Ah, yes. That touched on a lot of this. Yeah. And actually, NASA's got a contract with a company from here in Atlanta called Spaceworks. And Spaceworks has something called Rhino Chill, where they introduce chilled liquids mm-hmm. up your nose Whoa. to cool the base of your brain. That's where you lose me. Uh, well, yes. Well, you would lose consciousness, right? Yeah. And apparently it slows metabolism and induces like a hibernation-like state. And they're looking into it to see if they can use it for long-distance space travel, like a trip to Mars or something. Like in the movies. Exactly like in the movies. Yeah. Um, NASA is very much looking into this kind of thing. And apparently has been since the 50s. Since the movies said they Basically, do it. yeah. <laughs> um, but this idea of entering hibernation, or it's also frequently called suspended animation, that kind of thing, um, it would help tremendously. Yeah. Because not only would you save people from like the the boredom of a six month space trip, sure, you'd save them from going a little crazy from that. Yeah, save on food supplies. Yeah, save on space because the people don't need to move around or exercise or anything. I guess it's slowing their aging as well, right? Or I is d- it? I don't know. That'd be the interesting thing. I would guess so. Yeah, because I would think the process of aging is the the wearing out of your body from metabolism. And if your metabolism's yeah. slowing, you're not aging. Sure, yeah. I mean, it probably, I'm sure it doesn't shut it down, but I guarantee you there's a formula. Right. You know? So there is, I mean, there is actual interest in this kind of thing. Um, you found a cool thing from the British Medical Journal uh, from, geez, how long? 110 years ago? Yeah, ni- 1900. On the nose. 116 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an article titled Human Hibernation. And they reprinted it about 16 years ago. <laughs> right. And they talked about these Russian peasants that did something called Lotska. Nice. I think you is, nailed that. Yeah. Which is essentially um, six months during the hardest winters, the family will kind of hibernate. Like they don't do anything. They sleep as much as they can, eat a little hardtack. Drink a little water, mm-hmm. and someone stays up to keep the fire going. They, you know, take turns doing that. Right. But otherwise, they are just bedded down, conserving their energy. Yeah, that's it. They wake up once a day, like you said, eat a little bread, drink a little water, go back to sleep. I imagine that's got to, like, I'm sure it's not so drastic, like some of these mammals that we've talked about, but it's got to have an, a physiological effect. Yeah. The desired effect. I mean, think about it. That's why they tell you if you're trying to lose weight, don't eat. For hours before you go to bed, because all you're going to do is just, you're, you're not going to burn any of that energy off because yeah. you're just laying there sleeping. Yeah. Same thing with this. I mean, they're, they're, it's kind of like a forced pseudo hibernation, mm-hmm. self-induced pseudo hibernation that they're like, we're, it's a strategy. We're not going to use up as much, um, energy. We're just going to lay here. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And I think these survival shows that you see too, um, they do a lot of laying around when the food is scarce as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's what you want to do. Yeah, plus I think you're kind of forced to. Sure. Uh, yeah, because you, you lose energy. Yeah, you have no food energy, so right. you're, yeah, you can't do anything. There's one other thing I wanted to mention, too. You got something else? No, I mean, uh, 
just, you know, I remember a few years ago, I guess it was 10 years ago now, I remember when that Japanese man was lost mm-hmm. in the woods and mm-hmm. claims that, and some scientists agree that he went into a state of hibernation. Yeah, we talked about him in the therapeutic hypothermia episode, too. Yeah, I think we might have done one of our old video things on him, too. Oh, yeah? Seems like it. Man. It was a while ago. We've covered everything, dude. But there have been other cases like that. Yeah. Uh, from people, like, stranded in cars. Uh, Swedish biologists who, like... yeah. For all intents and purposes, drowned in an icy creek when it was revived. That's yeah. I guess that's a little more like the uh, therapeutic mm-hmm. hypothermia, huh? Mm-hmm. But no, the same thing with the Japanese man and the woman in the trunk of the car. They were both exposed to below freezing temperatures, and it lowered their metabolism. Pretty amazing. Uh, and then there was this guy who was not in freezing temperatures. Back in 1973, there was a journal article. I can't remember the name of the journal. Um, uh, that. They did a study with a yogi, Yogi Satyamurti, and for eight days he went into like a state of basically like meditative hibernation. Yeah. As far as they know, he didn't eat or drink anything. Um, he lost 10 pounds, four and a half kilograms. His uh, body temperature dropped down to 94 degrees, which doesn't seem that much, but apparently that was the ambient temperature of where he was, yeah. sealed often. And um, they had an EKG, they had EKG sensors detecting his heartbeat, and apparently his heartbeat went up to like 200 beats a minute and then started to taper off. Uh-huh. And after like the first day and for the next seven days, they basically couldn't detect a heartbeat. Oh, wow. He like lowered his heartbeat so much. And um, I haven't seen, I've seen it mentioned here or there or whatever, but I've not seen anybody say, well, this is how he did it, or this is the trick. Yeah. Um, it seems to be one of those weird curiosities of science that is just kind of over there. You know what I mean? I think I remember that. I'm like, that's incredible when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Remember that show? Sure. I think I remember a piece on this dude. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if they did Do you that. have his name? Yogi Satyamurti. Mm, different guy. There was another yogi, though, on that show. Yogi Berra? No. He could do the same thing. <laughs> right there on the bench yeah. in the dugout. Yeah. Uh, do we, should we talk about the hydrogen sulfide real quick? Sure. Uh, there's a cell biologist named Mark Roth uh, at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle. And um, in 2005, there was a big experiment where uh, uh, scientists induced hibernation in lab mice by giving them... Uh, hydrogen sulfide gas, and apparently it shut down. There, it really induced hibernation. The body temperature shut down their metabolic processes, and uh, then they gave them normal air, and mm-hmm. then they were fine again. Right. And they're thinking they're they're trying it now on roundworms, which apparently we have the same reaction humans do. What's it called? Knockdown? Hydrogen sulfide. No, the effect. Oh yeah, it's like that initial knock. It's kind of like you know you gas somebody and it knocks them out. Right. Uh, and they're doing experiments that they think that might be the key to inducing this in humans, hmm. whether for space travel or uh, I think what was one of the other things they said it would be good for is um, organ transplants. Right. That's it. And by that, I meant organ, not Oregon transplants. Yeah. And like I- people moving from <laughs> no- Northern California. Um, I think they mentioned something, too, about people in vegetative states. Uh-huh. Uh, it could help them out if they're if they kind of shut their metabolic functioning down oh yeah while they wait for a cure or something i'm not sure the thing i saw about the that gas was that if you remain exposed to it you die 
Right. Yeah. Which I guess is like some sort of like inert gas asphyxiation, but it seemed different than that. Like, yeah. I, I don't know why that would mean that it showed promise for hibernation. Maybe if like you, you expose somebody to it and then let off a little bit and right. then expose them to it and let off that you could keep it up like that. Yeah. Like a good dentist. We'll go, we'll go run our own experiments after this. Great. Okay. Uh, if you want to know more about hibernation, you can type that word in the search bar, and it'll bring up this article, which is a Grabster article. Oh, that's right. Yeah, mark of quality. Uh, and since I said Grabster, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this uh, wine growing. Hey, guys, enjoy the episode on Ice Ages and commend you on your ability to once again distill a complicated subject into an informative entertainment piece. That's what we do. Uh, as a quick note from the wine industry, we often, and I often personally, prefer the term wine growing. Uh, you, bro- uh, you both chuckled at the phrase in the episode, but it actually conveys the job better than anything else. Uh, grapes grown for wine are generally different varieties held to different standards than grapes grown for eating or juice production. Uh, berries are smaller, contain less juice, more acid, and sugar, and have bitter skins and seeds, which make them less appetizing than the grapes you find in the supermarket that these are the qualities that make good wine. In fact, many professional associations in the wine industry refer to themselves as wine growers. Unfortunately, the vines don't grow in finished bottles. Wine is made there in the vineyard, though. It gets me every time. The goal is to bring out the best in the fruit once it is inside the winery. I keep up the good work. I encourage you to try some of the wines from around Dahlonega, Georgia. Great wine is made everywhere. You may be surprised what is just down the road, Steve. Steve? Steve, send us some wine. Yeah, man. That's Don't how we just say try go it. try some wine. I'm in the wine industry. Go try some wine. Send us some wine. Yeah, Steve, I like big, beefy reds, full-bodied reds, and dry whites. What do you like? Uh, I love rosés. Okay. I like uh, reds, I guess, fruity reds like uh, Zinfandels and Syrahs. Sure. Um, and uh, I'm cool with any whites. Great. Love champagne, too, Steve. Oh, or yeah? any kind of sparkling wine, I should say. Yeah. Uh, I recommend to you, then, uh-huh, sure. uh, and others out there to watch this great documentary. Did you see SOM, the original S-O-M-M documentary about the sommelier, master sommelier testing mm-hmm. process? Yeah. It was good. Uh, there is a sequel now from the same makers called SOM Inside the Bottle, mm-hmm. where it's just a look at wine. Uh, there are 10 different topics they cover mm. about the wine and the wine industry, and it's really, really good. Oh, check that one out. Yeah, it, you can learn a lot from it. Uh, okay. It'll make you thirsty. We need to do a whole episode on wine. We still have yet to do it. Yeah, Emily asked me that when we were watching it. She's like, have you not done this yet? And I said, that's the one I might be most afraid of, period. Oh, yeah, it's worse than soccer or chess? Well, we did soccer and chess. I'm more intimidated by the wine podcast because I care so much about it. And you could do a, you could have a podcast series on wine. I'm sure there are. So it would be, yeah, there are plenty. So it would be tough to sum it up in 45 minutes. We can do this. I don't know, man. We'll do it. We're doing wine. All right. It'll be great, Chuck. You'll love it. Oh, so scared. Uh, If uh, you want to get in touch with us, again, you can hang out with me on Twitter at Josh underscore um underscore Clark. You can also hang out with Stuff You Should Know in general at SYSK Podcast. You can hang out with Chuck on Facebook at Charles W. Chuck Bryant. You can hang out with Stuff You Should Know on Facebook at facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. Um, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Uh, and as always, hang out with us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. Stuff You Should Know.
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 